Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, brothers and sisters. Welcome to today's chapter of the Big Picture Show here live on Radio Islam International, and a special welcome to our radio, uh, our listeners on Radio Al Ansar in Durban and Peter Marisburg, and all those via live stream. I've only got one problem though. We're sitting with stage six load shedding, and I wonder how many of you are able to tune in onto your radios. Nevertheless, dear listeners, uh, there's a lot to talk about. And of course, with the, the one, with the one news item that's central to everybody's minds and hearts is what's happening in Gaza and the latest that's happening in Gaza. And there's just too much. In fact, uh, it gets depressing. So let's start today's show on a high note, and I mean a literally high note. But the breaking news coming out of is it Morocco, Israel? Well, it depends on which side you look at it that the Moroccan hashish suppliers are refusing to sell to Israeli dealers in protest against the war in Gaza. This is according to a report by the Israeli media known as media site known as MAKO, M-A-K-O, yesterday. So MAKO, this Israeli news site, cited several Israeli drug dealers complaining about the drop off, the drop off in trade. They said that the hashish dealers in Morocco are not willing to sell us more hashish either directly or through intermediaries, according to one Israeli dealer. So he says they decided that because of the war, they are boycotting us. Since the war, we have lost a lot of money, tens of millions of shekels at least. The Mako also quoted a Moroccan hashish dealer saying they were refusing to sell to Israelis over the war. Can you believe it, dear listeners? Well, this is what happens when you on a high and you fall down low. Anyway, moving on to more, well, it's good news, although you can say good news to an extent, that Israel has been hit with its first ever downgrade. Yes, ratings downgrade. They've been hit with their first ever ratings downgrade as Moody's, one of the world's most popular rating agencies, cites war impact. According to them, the conflict that's currently taking place weakens their fiscal outlook raises debt burden. This is coming from Moody's. Of course, Netanyahu is uh, trying to uh, say that this is only, the decision is only due to the Hamas war. They make it known as a Hamas war. Not not that that they are in this war, but they call it a Hamas war. But at the end of the day, it is good good news, and let's accept it as good news, but there's one one snag. And I'm sure all of you know that the Zionist banksters, and, and that's what they are, Zionist banksters, control the global banking industry and with them controlling the global banking industry well you know i don't have to say anything further we all know that south africa taking israel to the icj was huge it was the best thing that could have happened in today's modern time given that the countries of the global north especially america britain and germany france have been totally silent on this. And I'm not referring only to those countries, it's Canada as well. I mean, but we can't mention all of them by name. But that those major countries of the global north taking Israel's path, carrying on as if nothing is happening in Gaza, that, that is just is, is a just war that Israel is fighting, that the casualties are over over exaggerated, that uh, there is no genocide. Even here in South Africa, when you look at the opposition parties, how they talk, they don't, they don't recognize genocide. Radio Islam Olana Suleiman Ravut was there in, uh, in, uh, in Cape Town this week for the SONA, and he interviewed various people there, and 
some of them have basically brushed off as if uh, hey, this is uh, they don't even comment and they don't want to give a committed stance on it and uh, it's sad but the fact remains is that the world is not stupid right so by South Africa taking Israel to ICJ it was huge the interim ruling was huge however sad to say that Israel will just continue ignoring the rulings they will carry on with impunity as long as America and Britain and whoever are protecting them and sad to say the genocide is worse since two weeks ago. So coming on that, on the latest ICJ developments, two, uh, one was a very disturbing development, is that uh, the judge who opposed every single ruling in uh, the internal ruling two weeks ago, Judge Sipotende of Uganda, has been promoted to vice president of the ICJ, of the International Court of Justice. Uh, although her, uh, her position is symbolic in the sense that she's the vice president, at the end of the day, uh, if the trend carries on in the sense of what what we saw two weeks ago, whereby, well, it was expected from the Israeli judge, apart from the point of humanitarian aid, obviously to oppose all those uh, rulings, nevertheless, she cannot change every other judge's mind. So that's the one positive that will come out of this. However, uh, it's left to be seen how she continues in this role. The only way is that the world must continue objecting and objecting louder and louder. And it must be known to her that that the type of stance that she's taken is that she's on the side of murderers. So Nicaragua, that famous small country in Latin America, which the Americans don't like, for various reasons, because they just cannot control it the way they want to. Nicaragua has asked to formally join South Africa's genocide case against Israel. The United Nations top court said on Thursday that Managua, which is the capital of uh, Nicaragua, claiming it had interests of a legal nature in the highly contested hearings. Nicaragua, in its own application, called on judges to rule that Israel has breached and continues to breach its obligations under the Genocide Convention and to seize acts or measures which would be capable of killing or continue to kill Palestinians. Now, look at it for what, this is what Nicaragua says, that Israel has breached and continues to breach its obligations under the Genocide Convention. And that's exactly what has been happening in the past two weeks. So as much as there's a historical background in the sense of going back to December when this case started, but even looking at what has happened since the ruling to now, that Nicaragua has identified this and has highlighted this and has brought it to the court's attention. And on this basis, they want to join the legal action. So that's that's something that we welcome, nevertheless. Our foreign minister, or minister of Turco, Naledi Pendo, has requested for extra security due to threats after the Israel genocide case. So, without sharing details about the threatening messages, the minister has said, and I quote, uh, the Israeli agents, Israeli, in, sorry, the Israeli agents, intelligence agencies, this is how they behave. They seek to intimidate you. We must not be intimidated. She said the government will continue with the legal challenge. And again, in another quote from her, she says that the people of the world and of Palestine didn't draw back when the apartheid state was at its worst. They stood with the liberation movement we cannot back down now. We must be with them. 
One of the things we must not allow is the failure of courage. It is extremely important we continue with this. So as you can see, dear listeners, Mossad has reared its ugly head openly in South Africa by deciding to take on our minister. And that's not all. That's totally unacceptable. Either way, for them to operate in every country around the world to protect the great Israelite. And I want you people to please repeat this wherever you post. The great Israelite. Capital T-H-E for the, capital G for great, right? Cap- Israel, I-S-R-A hyphen L-I-E. So the great Israelite. We need to push out that term, the great Israelite. We know about the term Israel, I-S-R-A hyphen H-E-L-L. When you refer to Israel, refer to them as Israel. But also when you talk about what Israel does, the modus operandi, refer to it as the great Israelite because that's what it is. It is a big lie. And it needs to be on social media, on your WhatsApp post, on your Facebook post, on your on your Twitter, right? You put it as the great Israelite. It will make an impact. It should resonate and it must pick up all over wherever people see it. That's what it needs to be. That's what needs to get out. We need to get that that narrative out there so people must know that this is the big lie. It's a lie that we are living in. It's a lie that's been going on for almost 76 years now, right? If you take it into historic context of of, uh, the Lord Balfour Declaration, then it's going on for about 107 years. But it's a big lie. It's sad, but this is the reality. People must know we are not against Jews. So please, all those who are coming up with this anti-Semitic nonsense, or fly a kite, right? We've seen it again. David Sachs of the South African Jewish Board of Deputies wrote a long article to nowhere in News 24 claiming about this, a big rise of anti-Semitism in South Africa. Fortunately, our Minister of Justice, Ronald Lamola, came out and refuted this to say that there's no such thing, that this is all sensationalism. And that's what it is. Again, fitting into the narrative, the great Israelite. Please, dear listeners, when, I, when you'll see me often on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, and those who are connected to me on WhatsApp that I always put there, the great is a lie. We must run with it. It must be unique. It must stand out. Moving on to other news, um, a very important ruling took place uh, this week where a UK professor by the name of, um, yes, a professor of sociology at the University of Bristol, Professor David Miller, right? Uh, he talks about the discrimination he suffered due to the anti-Zionist beliefs, right? And a tribunal has ruled in his favor. So, uh, as I said, that he's a sociology professor at the University of Bristol. He was accused of anti-Semitic comments, you know, the swear word, anti-Semitism, or should we say the red card, right? Of anti-Semitic comments has won a landmark decision that he was discriminated against because of his anti-Zionist beliefs. You know, the conflation coming out, and we see it also coming out from the likes here locally, that anti, if you are anti-Zionist, you're anti-Semitic. If you're anti-Israel, you're anti-Semitic. That's a big lie. That all fits in with the narrative of the great Israelite. If you are anti-Zionist, if you're anti-Israel, you are not anti-Jewish, you are not anti-Semitic. Because our Arab people are also Semitic. The Palestinian people are also Semitic. So if you who cry anti-Semitism, then by you, spitting on the Palestinians' lives, condemning the Arabs, you are more anti-Semitic than us. 
by those, when I say us, by those that you are labeling anti-Semitic. So, an employment tribunal ruled that Professor David Miller was unfairly dismissed and that his anti-Zionist beliefs qualified as a philosophical belief and as a protected characteristic uh, pursuant to Section 10 Equality Act of 2010. Right? Rahman Lowe, yes, L-O-W-E, right, the legal firm that represented it, uh, sorry, Deborah, well, the legal firm that represented Miller held it as a landmark decision. It said the judgment establishes for the first time ever that anti-Zionist beliefs are protected in the workplace. The Union of Jewish Students said on Monday's judgment they set a dangerous precedent about what can be lawfully said on campus about Jewish students and the societies at the center of their social life. This will ultimately make Jewish students less safe. Again, which is another big fat lie. Miller initially caused controversy in 2019 when in a lecture he cited Zionism as one of the five sources of Islamophobia and showed a diagram linking Jewish charities to Zionist lobby. Complains that this resembled the anti-Semitic trope that Jews wield secretive influence on political affairs were dismissed by the university on academic freedom grounds. Since then, comments by Miller in online lectures describing Israel as the enemy of world peace and a description of the Jewish society as an Israel lobby group that had manufactured hysteria about his teaching further inflamed tensions. Academics across the world signal rival letters. One described Muller's views on Zionism as a morally reprehensible conspiracy theory that jeopardized community relations on campus, while another warned that the investigation into him was fomenting a culture of self-censorship and fear and urged the university to defend freedom of speech. Muller's case contended that he was subject to an organized campaign by groups and individuals opposed to his anti-Zionist views, which was aimed at securing his dismissal. The university subjected him to discriminatory and unfair misconduct proceedings, which culminated eventually in his summary dismissal. At the time, the university said that although legal counsel had found that Miller's alleged comments did not constitute unlawful speech, a disciplinary hearing had concluded that he did not meet the standards of behavior we expect from our staff. What standards? I don't know. In the 108-page judgment delivered this past Monday, the Bristol Employment Tribunal ruled that Miller had experienced discrimination based on his philosophical belief and had succeeded in his claim of wrongful dismissal. Zilu Rahman, who is of the law firm Rahman Law, who is Miller's lawyer, said the case marks a pivotal moment in the history of our country for those who believe in upholding the rights of Palestinians. The ruling would be welcomed by many who at present are facing persecution in their workplaces for speaking out against the crimes of the Israeli state and the genocide taking place in Gaza. Miller would be seeking maximum compensation, he said. The tribunal ruled any award would be reduced by half because the claimant's dismissal was caused or contributed by his own actions. So let's see what comes out of this. But this is an important precedent which can be taken globally in the fact that all those who waved that anti-Semitism red card for without basis because you're criticizing a, a barbaric state for committing gen genocide. Well, at the end of the day, as what AB likes to use the word maja, your maja is over. Nevertheless, uh, dear listeners, we are running up to half past 11 shortly and we're having a guest on air 
who is from the NFP, the National Freedom Party, and MP in uh, in the parliament, which uh, obviously his term is coming to an end soon before the elections that may take place sometime in the latter part of April or in May. We will have on the line shortly Brother Ahmad Manzoor Sheikh Imam. But before we talk to him, uh, before we talk to him, uh, I want to just, you know, we all know that Sona took place this past Thursday. And uh, you must have heard about the famous Shakespeare reading called Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, it was Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you look at some of the highlights that came out from the State of the Nation .gov.za website, and I've got six of them here on my screen, and I'm just going to read them out to you because I don't know whether to laugh or or cringe or cry or scream. So, according to President Ramaphosa, and these were, this was actually in the Sona, right, that the first one says, through the presidential employment stimulus, we have created more than 1.7 million work and livelihood opportunities. We need to see where, is that, where are those opportunities and where they were created. The second one says, working closely with business and labor, we have established dedicated teams to turn around five strategic corridors that transport goods for export purposes. Really, Mr. President? Look at the state of disaster of our ports, especially here in Durban, which was hailed as Africa's busiest and largest harbor, today ranking below 300 in the world because of the control of the unions and the business forums. Ships, when you drive along the beach highway here in Durban, that's I'm talking past Durban North, Amshanga, Amshloti to get to, say, La Mercy, to the airport, right? You can see how the number of ships that are waiting to gain entry into the ports because of the backlog that's taking place at the harbors. You go to businesses throughout the country, shelves are running low. When you ask them, where's the stock? They say, well, we're waiting for goods because of the ports. So I want to know, how is this possible? Coming to the third block, it says that we have transformed the lives of millions of South Africans providing the necessities of life and creating opportunities that never existed before. Yes, if you look at it in a 30-year context, from 1994 to present, I can agree with that to a certain extent. But looking at the past few years, no. Right? Number four, we have restored the independence and capability of our law enforcement agencies to tackle corruption and crime. Really? People are not seeing visible policing. People are not seeing action by police. We've seen tank, water tanker mafias operating with impunity, shutting down water supply to various neighborhoods. Currently, again, parts of the northern Durban area of Amshlanga, Mount Edgecombe, Phoenix, and those areas, again, got no water, right? Tankers are moving around. Then we have, we in stage six, load shedding, right? There's always been speculation, allegations of sabotage so that the service providers that are contracted to ESCOM can get more business, right? Why is it that we suddenly in state six? Moving on to point number five. We have delivered on our commitments to bring substantial new power through private investment onto the grid, which is already helping to reduce load shedding. This was on Thursday evening, the president telling us this. 
immediately after Sona was over, we went from stage two to stage three. Yesterday morning, we went to stage four. Now, early this morning, we are on stage six. Really, Mr. President, is this really what is happening or are you oblivious to reality? Point number six, great progress has been made in bringing those responsible for state capture to justice. Stolen funds are being recovered. Again, I leave you to judge that. We can go on and on, but I think let's be fair and let's uh, to our guest on air. Uh, we have him on the line now. Brother Ahmad Manzur Sheikh, are you there? Ji, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam. Welcome to the Big Picture Show here live on Radio Islam International Radio Al-Ansar. Brother Manzur, how was your visit to Sona this past Thursday? Well, you know, the question is, was it Sona's State of the Nation address or was it political campaigning for the 2024 election? I think it is more the latter rather than the former. Uh, not impressed at all, I must be honest with you. I got the impression that the president was seeing the speech office for the first time. And I don't even think he's read it before. And I do know and understand that some two days before that, the president was not well. But what is very, very clear, if you looked at the response from the ministers when the president was addressing each particular sector, they looked perplexed, they looked shocked. I don't think even they knew what he was talking about. And let me give you some examples as far as that is concerned. He's absolutely yes. correct when he says that the backlog in the ports have come from down from 60 to about 12, he says. What an achievement. What he's not telling you, the only reason it has come down is because all these shipping companies are now diverting their cargo to the surrounding ports like Maputo and Walmers Bay. That's why there's not enough ships in the South African ports. So he's got it absolutely wrong. Number two, the president talks about, let's look at the issue of labor. And he says that, you know, we're giving people a minimum wage. President, I don't know, sometimes I feel he's in a different planet. You know, there are hundreds of thousands of taxi drivers in this country. Okay? And these taxi drivers, who he believes that they're protecting, have got absolutely no benefits. They're not registered for UIF. Even if they die in this accident, there's absolutely no payouts. He talks about what we pay them in terms of a minimum wage, coupled with the South African police services. If you look at what police officers in this country take home, with a 13 rand a day danger allowance, and President says he's taking care of the workers in this country. Now, let's go to another point that he's talking about. Energy. You are correct, we are now on load stage six. President is talking about and the money that we are pumping into ESCOM. But on the other hand, ESCOM has just made a statement that they are partnering with, partnering with the private sector and will be producing more energy than ESCOM. So what is all this money that we're pumping into ESCOM for in any event? So are we running it down to the extent that we'll be able to give it away for next to nothing like we've done with South African Airways and many others. So that's the other problem I find. Now let's talk about the issue of crime. You know, President says he put 10,000, another 10,000 trainees and another 5,000. Even if you put another 
million police officers who won't solve the problems in the country. You need to de- have a holistic approach to deal with the socio-economic conditions under which our people live. The high unemployment rates, availability of drugs and alcohol, taverns are open 24 hours, absent fathers from their homes, the poor living conditions, no recreational facilities, one in two children. President was bragging about an 89% pass rate in matric. Pass what? The pass rate is 30%. Actually, it's less than that. If you interrogate it further, part of that 30% is the annual assessment over the period of the year, which means in actual fact your pass rate is about 23%. And he thinks we are doing very well because the focus is on numbers, not on quality. Then the, then the president talks about, uh, and, and, and further to that on education, he says that there is a drop or a decrease in the dropout rate. I don't know where he's getting that from. One in two children who start school in grade one do not complete grade 12. 60% of them drop out in grade 10. But those that go to TVET colleges, 60% of those drop out in the first year. And from the balance who go on to the next year, 30% fail mathematics. He's talking about using visa requirements to bring skills into the country, but all your skills are leaving the country. You've got over a thousand doctors, as I speak to you, qualified, serve the community service. You can't accommodate them. They don't have the funds. And they are leaving the country. So you're using taxpayers' money to train them, educate them, and then hand them over to to the other countries. Look at the NHI, what he says. He's ready to sign the document. But the NHI can't be implemented if you don't have money. The Minister of Health has raised it again and again. There's no money. He's spoken to the Minister of Finance. I've raised this in Parliament a couple of months ago. There is no money at this stage. It's going to be a total failure. The timing is wrong. Universal health care is brilliant, but the timing is wrong. These are just some of the things that give me the impression that the President had the speech prepared by somebody he has not interrogated it, okay? And he's out of touch with the reality as to exactly what is happening on the ground. That is my suspicion. That has been my suspicion, you know, when I heard it on uh, Thursday night. And uh, there you, I mean, and I never spoke about it to anybody. And I'm, the first time I said it openly, that that was a suspicion. I mean, really speaking, that's what it was. Brother, Sorry, brother continue Muslim, on I that. I want to touch on something also very important. The president yeah. touched on Palestine, okay? Now, all of us, if we were realistic, could not expect anything more than what the ICJ gave us because we all know that all these international bodies are toothless organizations that are captured. Now, we went that extent and let us welcome and commend our legal team, which is a fantastic piece of work. However, it was a soft judgment, as I call it. It achieved nothing. Our people continue to die and being massacred, human rights violated in Palestine. But what about the motion that we passed? What was the purpose of passing this motion? What was the purpose of amending this motion? Getting it approved and then what? Putting it in file 13. Why are you not implementing it? Did you ever have the intention of implementing it? If not, why did you even pass the motion? 
Now, what we need very, is a very important argument against the Zionist state of Israel, and that is not happening. Yes. Now it makes me, it appears that this ICJ thing is just about politicking for the election. That's what it is all about. And I find many organizations and political parties who don't care about the Palestinian cause are now trying to capitalize on what is happening in Palestine. 100%. And that is uh, that's the reality. And uh, as you say, I mean, the thing is that there are so many. I mean, uh, as you just pointed out about the putting away this motion into the file thirteen, that is, if anything, South Africa should be consistent what they what they've done with the ICG action and carrying out this whole motion to to the end. That would have really really given a good message to the rest of the world. Well, Brother Mustafa, by virtue of the fact that Israel is continuing with its atrocities, and if you remember what government said, we are now, in other words, putting Israel on terms. Now we passed that motion. They are not complying. They are not complying with the ICJ. And even if this matter now goes through to the United Nations Security Council, we know it will be vetoed, okay? So why not yes. implement it? put stringent conditions now. Let's implement this, this um, uh, uh, motion that we have passed. But it seems like that you've had no intention in the first place. Let's take the, the initial motion to downgrade the South African embassy in Israel to a liaison office. It was passed right. in 2017 as a resolution. Two years, three yes. years, four years, I've been every opportunity raising it. Nothing was happened until it was my turn. They had no option. So I brought it to the house, we debated it, we approved it, and we implemented it. Same thing as far as Palestinians coming to South Africa without visa. If you look at the yes. plight of the Palestinians for 30-some-odd years, how they were being treated, nothing was done until I had to put the pressure on them. And alhamdulillah, today we can say our Palestinian brothers and sisters do not need a visa to come to South Africa. But why Correct. is there, on the one hand, you approve these things, but when it's time to implement it, you're doing very little or nothing about it. Is this grandstanding? Is this politicking? What is this all about? Yeah, well, the thing is that you know we talk about capitulation to the to the to the to the powers of the lobby, and this is what exactly is taking place. I mean, is South Africa saying one thing and uh, doing another thing, and and uh, those are realities that. Uh, that the power of the lobby, if you want to take them on, take them on, make the stance, make it happen. But don't faff around, as what you would say. I agree with you. I mean, otherwise, what was the purpose of going through that entire process and adopting that motion? What is the purpose of it? What is the next step? Nobody's talking about it. Now that we went to ICJ and we haven't yielded positive results, as you can see very clearly what is happening in Palestine, what is the next step? When are we going to the ICC? When are we going to call Joe Biden as complicit in the crimes against humanity? When are we going to take on these people? Or are we going to sit back because we are being threatened by the United States? I saw a report this morning where the United States is talking about South Africa and who we are associating with. And in that, they're talking about who? They are talking about Russia and China. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and our stance on Palestine, and that is cause for concern as far as the U.S. is concerned. 
and they need to take some stringent action as far as they are concerned. They're then going to come and talk about a go and things to try and pull out. South Africa's got about 44% of the most arable land in the world. And yet we are saying Russia, Ukraine, why is affecting our wheat prices? Why not grow our own wheat? We've got the best climate for it. We've been growing it. Exactly. By well, I mean, the thing is that in South Africa, we can really have good food security. I mean, we have the capability of having good food security. As you said, we have the climate, we have the conditions, but sadly, these things are not being, there's the lack of implementation and, uh, and you know, the, the, the lack of just giving the support to making sure these things happen, unfortunately, is not there. And that's why problems are just getting worse and worse. Well, the president talks about farms. 30% of the farms are in black hands at the moment. Again, I don't know which planet he's talking about. Yes, we may have taken land from A and given it through to B. You took it from the so-called white farmers and you gave it to the black farmers. Tell him to do the due diligence and go see how many of these farms are still functioning. They are being shut down. I can tell you, just some of them last only for a good few months and they are being shut down. That is going to affect food security in the country. I expected the president to talk about how he's going to enhance economic growth through the manufacturing sector. Your textile industry is dead. Your plastic industry is dead. Your leather industry is dead. How are you going to change that? How are you going to limit the imports and let us be more productive? How are you going to talk to labor, to the unions, to in ensure that we, we you know, relieve uh, some of these stringent labor conditions we got which make smaller business not survive? I was expecting him to talk about that. He talks about land and housing. I was expecting him to give us one good reason why right now as we speak in every municipality where our people live who don't have homes and can't afford it i was expecting him to say for since we are 30 years into democracy i'm now giving instructions to every municipality identify the people in your in your areas that have no housing give them with immediate effect i was expecting him to say i'm giving you 100 days all of you subdivide the available land there and give it through to the people and then start working on how you're going to provide water sanitation. What is difficult about that? Absolutely nothing. That's the least you can do to the people, give them their dignity. But you want to take land that is in the hands of somebody else, but you've got so much of land, state land available, you understand, or you can purchase and give to your people, you're not willing to do that. I mean, when the president started his speech, his campaigning, he said, that the wealth of the country must belong to the people of this country. Tell me what wealth in this country belongs to the people of this country. Everything that you own here today is in the hands of, 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 of outsiders. You produce the finest minerals in the world. And then what? You're exporting it as raw materials. Getting them to finish it instead of creating an industry in our country and creating jobs and then buying it at high prices but selling it to them at crumbs i mean agriculture you should be taking advantage of your agriculture okay the, and, and yes. you're not taking advantage of it so the thing is this the wealth of this country in fact during the days of apartheid the zionist state of israel worked with the apartheid government we all know that then right. when when the new dispensation came in the 
current government was so busy with its corruption and looting and self-enrichment, they lost control of the country. And the Zionist Israel now have made such a presence in South Africa that they've captured almost every sector, that even if you want to start from one sector boycotting, there's hardly anything left that you can't boycott. That is how bad the situation is in the country. Sure. And people are not aware of this. Not. People Look are oblivious to this because when you course. tell them, when you when you tell people that this is what the government yes, I mean you know the thing is we know okay yes, well, we give them credit. We took they took the matter to the ICJ, but when you say that the ruling party has failed in all this, they don't accept that. Especially what you brought up now, they say no, it cannot be. I said, wake up to reality. But and I'm glad you brought this up on air. People are listening to this. Because people must know, no, you know that I this is how... You, I mean, government talks about the Palestinian issue. I want to just go back there. We have yeah. seen our Israeli defense members from the force who have dual citizenship from South Africa bragging about the atrocities they've committed. How many has South Africa identified and charged? Not a single one. Not a single so one, correct. So do you think we're about what we're doing? No, we're not. If you want to turn this country around as far as I'm concerned, and maybe my message to be, should be to all our brothers and sisters who have the resources and the skills and the capacity, right? Take back our economies. Take back. I'll give you a good example, you know, and I'm going to break it down in ABC language. I, some people said they are boycotting Coca-Cola. Then somebody said, don't buy Coca-Cola, buy Pepsi-Cola. Pepsi-Cola is exactly the same coming from there. Then they said, not drink Kui. Kui is bought by them as well. Then somebody said, take Jive. Jive is also by them. Now, what stops us in this country by going and creating those industries and becoming self-sufficient and taking back our country? What? I addressed Minister Mantashe on the issue of the minerals. I said to him, yes. why are we getting the crumbs when the mineral wealth belongs to this country? I even went on to say that Almighty God has blessed every country in the world with something different. And he blessed us with these minerals. Why are you giving it? I said, can we not make it at least a 50-50? And he said, no, you are correct. We are moving in that direction. But when? When are you moving when? in the direction? Maybe in the Akhira. Yes. Now let's look at corruption. President is talking about fighting corruption, state capture. He said two other yeah. prosecutors, tell me, over one billion rand you spent on that state capture, right? Although I wasn't impressed with the questioning by the Deputy Chief Justice, I wasn't impressed because certain people, he treated them with kid gloves. But more important, yeah, definitely. How, many people are, how many people are behind bars? You know what South Africa <laughs> needs? You need Sharia law. And if you have Sharia law, you'll have a fingerless government. That's what will happen. Maybe that's what you need, the hard line to be able to stop the corruption that's taking place. This country is losing four to five hundred billion rand a year because you're not getting value for money, starting from local government. And we're not willing to stop it. I've raised it over 50 times. They know where the problem is. They don't. He speaks about ensuring that he's going to employ the right kind of people. How? When? Where? Why can't we have an independent body that will be responsible to employ all the officials so we employ people that are not cadres but fit for purpose? Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, Brother Mazu, the thing is that when you say when are these things are going to happen, I mean, I've been hearing from another person, I, I won't mention names, who is, uh, you know, talks on a, on, a, on a particular WhatsApp chat group with us, which is very uh, robust, says that, you know, it's time, uh, we have now arrived at the time of ANC renewal. Watch, things are going to change. We say that from last year, say that again from the beginning of this year, ANC renewal, watch, things are going to change. It's all going to be different. So I asked the question, why wait for the elections to take place for seeing the effects of this renewal and for things to change? It should happen immediately. But we keep Can on I hearing this talk, it's going mind. to happen. Let yeah. me tell you, change is not going to come from the existing political parties. They are all in a comfort zone. And if you think Correct. that the corruption, or anybody thinks, my brother, that corruption is limited to one political party, they got it wrong. Even this election that's coming, it's an election of money. The more money you got, the more seats you're going to get, the more corruption is True. going to continue. When people give Correct. you money, they're, not, they're taking your money and giving to political parties so that they can gain us support and have a hold. And what is it they get in back in return? Corruption, tenders, procurement, that is what they get back. Now, let yeah. me tell you something. And that is why there's a distinct advantage that larger political parties. People won't give you smaller parties money. You know why they won't want to give you? They're not going to get anything back from you. So they will give it to they, larger political parties because of what they're going to get back. You go to the Western yes. Cape, you go to the KZ, KZ and run by the IFP. Many of their municipalities go where the coalition governments are and see what is happening, how much of corruption is taking place. I'll ask you a simple yeah, question. If, if you look at some of these manifesto launch and rallies they're having, 100, 200, 300 million rand, how much have they declared? How much have Nothing. they declared? Even though you put measures to say parties must declare, are they declaring? Hardly anything. No. Nope. So it means that these measures that we are putting in place is to further corruption, not to prevent the corruption. You know? So, I mean, look at the water crisis that people are facing in Phoenix, in Durban North, in all these areas. Itchegwini was, what a beautiful city. But look at today, now the president's talking about infrastructure. If you remember, every Sona since he came in, he spoke about infrastructure. What yes, did I correct. tell the president? What did I tell the president when he first was sworn in? I said to him, Mr. President, you are judged by the kind, the friends you keep, and in your case, you are going to be judged by the success on the ground. And for that reason, you need to associate and align yourself with capable people with high levels of morals and ethics and capacity. Has he done that? No. He's got people that are not fit for purpose. They don't even know what's going on. What is changed? Nothing. Absolutely. In fact, South Africa has produced 17,500 black millionaires and multi-millionaires in the last couple of years all at the expense of the poorest of the poor in this country. So all that is happening, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. That is the crux of the problem in the country. And the emphasis Definitely. is on the rich, not on the poor. Go to the Western Cape and go and look at the living conditions of the poorest of the poor, the colored and the black communities. Take the koi and sand. They haven't yeah. moved an inch. They are the rightful heirs to the land, the water, and the wealth of this country. They haven't moved an inch since the day dawn of democracy. 
They haven't uh, moved 30 years, exactly. exactly. And, you know, talking about the poorest of the poor areas, even in areas where you have the poor white areas, you take areas like Kai Fontaine, etc., on the Cape Flats, terrible living conditions. So the thing is, as you said, they only worry about the rich, whereas the poor don't matter. You know, so it's just, it's, it's shameless, I mean, how the, how the governments, I mean, yet this is in, uh, yet the Western Cape is in opposition hands. So you can see uh, 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 the, 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 the problem lies with all the political parties, they're in charge, as you said, furthering that agenda and only well, serving know, those know, that, for happen. the money. In this election, we are at a crossroad and we're also undermining what is happening between the ANC and the MK. The ANC is on the road to self-destruction. So if we believe we're going to go in our numbers and put all our money and our votes onto the ANC, which is split between the ANC and the MK right now, if you saw what happened in Prague the other day, they split their votes yes. to such an extent that the IFP won the award. If you added the ANC and MK votes together, the ANC would have won. They would have won. Exactly. I have through, I have through reliable sources learned that when ANC are going to campaign in their wards, there is nobody pitching up, and they, when they do find them, they say, we have joined MK. So I want to say, the people in this country, if you want to protect this country and, 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 and for the ge generations to come, you want to secure this country, then if you're thinking in the direction, because perhaps ANC went into this, the Palestinian thing and did us a great favor, you have it wrong, because you are sending a vote that's going to be not valuable. If, with the way the split is working right now. So what you need is an alternative so that we could protect our freedom of religion in this country and keep the ruling parties and the larger parties accountable. But if you don't keep Correct. them accountable, you, with the power they got and the monies that is available to them, they will destroy this country and our future generations are going to suffer for it. Jazakallah, Brother Mazur, that's all we have time for now because we need to take an air break for the end of the show. But Jazakallah for all that insight and I hope the listeners out there have taken heed of your advice and have to think rationally and not emotionally when that day of elections come and where they have to make that tick in the right box. And we'll chat again soon, inshallah. Jazakallah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi Dear listeners, that was Brother Abad Mazur Sheikh Imam of the NFP, National Freedom Party, a member of Parliament and a person who has, a, a, for a small party, for a small man in the sense, if you look at Brother Mazur, you know, he's, he's what they call the, you know, when they say dynamites come in small packages and that's what he is. And you've heard him speak out, he's speaking out there realistically, rationally, and telling you listeners out there what is the reality. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.